why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, throw your hand up and grab one of these Bibles coming down the aisles right now so you can have a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you've got a friend who needs a Bible, throw your hand up, grab one of these to give it to them and say, hey, I'm going to give them a Bible and I invite them to church. But grab a copy of God's Word with your Bible, with your phone, whatever you got, and go to John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 13 as we get to the very end of this letter from the Apostle John. And we're, we're wrapping up the series this morning. Now, if you're like, man, this is my first Sunday here and we're coming to the end of something, I'm going to be lost. You're not going to be lost because John basically sums up what he's been saying throughout this letter as he wraps up this letter. And, and all through this letter that John's been writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's been really writing to two kinds of people. First kind of person he's writing to, he's bringing hope and assurance to those who are wrestling with fear and doubt when they don't need to be. And he's saying, man, I want you, if you know Jesus, John's like, I want to give you the hope of what it is to truly know Jesus. So he's writing this letter with that purpose, that, that if, if you have unnecessary fear and worry, that you'd be given hope and assurance. Now, there's another person that John's writing to as well here in this letter. He's also writing to those where he actually wants to cause wrestling and trouble for those who should be wrestling and troubled. If, if you're, you're not pursuing Jesus, you don't know Jesus, but you've got this kind of religious thing going on. We're like, yeah, but I think I'm good. Me and God, we're okay. And John's writing this letter, so you go, maybe I'm not okay. So if you really know Jesus and you love Jesus, you're going to read 1 John and you're going to read it and go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement. If you don't actually know Jesus, you'll read through 1 John and you'll be like, I don't think I'm in a good place. And so there are times when John's writing this letter where he talks like, a, like, an, like an old pastor, a kind old pastor. Now, historians would say that he's probably over 90 years old by the time he's writing this. And he loves the people he's writing to. <clears throat> and, and like a father would comfort a, a kid who has fear or worry, John's so caring. He uses words like my beloved, my little children. And, and you hear in his writing, you hear John's heart that he so badly wants more than anything for us reading this to know the love of God, to live in God's love. But, but here's the thing, John's not just the nice old grandpa giving out Werther's candies and patting you on the head, right? He also, Jesus gave him a nickname that he was called the son of thunder. So, so John's not afraid to call it as he sees it. John's not afraid to speak clearly. And so in this letter, he's spoken very clearly by saying, hey, listen, there are people who are children of God and there are people who are children of the devil. And he calls it out. There are those of you who are walking in the light and there are those of you who are walking in darkness towards death. If you look at verse 13 of chapter five, he gives his whole purpose for why he wrote this letter. He says this in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. His whole purpose for writing this that God wants us to know, that God wants us to have an assurance of who we are in him, that, that God loves you. And when someone loves you, they want to make sure that you know that they love you. And the only way you're going to develop real love for God is when you're sure that he loves you. 
real love grows in the, in the soil of security. That when you know God's love for you, that's when your love for him grows. If you make someone love you by, by threatening them or, or obey you by threatening them, you, you could coerce outward behavior, but the heart's not gonna be changed. I mean, I love how Jesus said in John 14, 18, his disciples were all scared and worried. They're like, Jesus, you're, you're gonna go back to heaven. Then what? You're leaving us. And he says this, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will come back to you. A good parent talking to their children wants to make sure their children know that they're loved. Jesus going away, he goes, no, no, I wanna make sure that when I leave you know this truth that I'm not leaving you as orphans. I love you. I was thinking of it this way. At the end of April, I'm, I'm going away to, to the East Coast to speak at a conference. And, and as I go, can you imagine me gathering up my three daughters and say, dad's gonna be gone for a few days, but I am coming back. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm not even your dad. Maybe I've got a whole other family on the East Coast and I'm just gonna stay there. Or maybe I come back. Maybe I'll bring you a gift or maybe not. So why don't you think about that while I'm gone and let that stir up your affection for me, right? It doesn't work, does it? What, what could happen is, is, is you're not gonna, I'm not gonna produce any loyalty or love in my daughters if I talk to them that way. It might produce this, this fear in them and for a time they may be like, man, I gotta do everything I can do so that this dude who may not even be my dad, that this guy would love me and, and for a time you may build up that. But I'm telling you, over a long period of time, all that's going to build up is not faith-based obedience or love, but it's gonna turn into father-hating rebellion. If, if I, as, as a dad, don't want my kids to be in that kind of fear or, or, or hopelessness, if I want to give them an assurance because I don't want them to feel like unwanted orphans, then, then how much more would God, who's an infinitely better father, would want us to have an assurance, to have a hope, to, to not live in fear? I would say this, here, here's the, the, the beauty of the gospel. Hope and assurance in the gospel has a greater power to produce obedience and love in us way more than threats of the law. Hope and assurance in the gospel produces in us a greater love and obedience than threats of the law ever could do. The threats of the law can coerce us, but it can't captivate our hearts. So again, love for God, it grows in this soil of security. In fact, look back at verse 19 of chapter four. Again, John talking about why we love God. He says this, we love, why do we love? Why would we love God? He says, we love God because he commanded us to, because he told us to, because, no, we love God. Why? Verse 19 says, because he first loved us. It's, it's that assurance of God's love for us that produces our love for him. It's, it's not more discipline. It's not more threats. It's not more law. It's knowing how much God loves us. I mean, think about the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story? And then they drag this woman up. They throw her at Jesus' feet. And they're like, hey, well, are you going to condemn this woman? We caught her in the act of adultery. She should be stoned according to the law. And Jesus does that cool thing where he kind of just draws in the sand. I don't know, making them uncomfortable. I don't know what he was drawing. And then he says, tell you what, 
Let the person who has no sin throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their head and leave because they realize, well, that's not going to be me. And then Jesus turns to this woman. Here's the cool thing you have to think about. He said, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Who's Jesus? Jesus is without sin. He could have picked up a stone right there and stoned her. As God, the son, he had the right to do that. But here he is, the one without sin. And he turns to her and what's he say? He says, where's everybody gone? There was condemning you. He says, I don't condemn you either. Then he says, go and sin no more. Did you catch the order there? He calls her to a life of holiness. He says, you need to live in obedience. You need to, you need to follow after God with holiness and righteousness. He calls her to that, but, but notice the order. He starts with, I don't condemn you. He knows that without assurance, without this profound experience of God's grace in her life, being told to be holy without an understanding of grace and God's love, it only produces hypocrisy. It produces this outward behavior modification, grit your teeth, get through it. I'm going to be really righteous. Jesus knew that she wouldn't change until she had that security in his love. Think about it. Why was she running after other men? She's running after other men saying, this is my security. This is my hope, being accepted, being loved in this way. It's, it's why you and I run after so many other things. The Bible calls them idols. We're running after those because we have a, a weak understanding of God's love for us. It's, it's evidence that our hearts don't understand the love of God. It's, it's a heart without assurance that, that we run elsewhere for our hope. Here's the thing, nothing's going to take off in your life spiritually, in, in, in your own life, in your family, in your ministry, in your, your friends. Nothing's gonna take off until we get a hold of what this is, the love of God for us. So my question for you this morning is this, do you know? I mean, do, do you have an assurance of God's love and grace? The fail this morning would be for, for us to walk out of here and not be 100% sure that you are a Christ follower, that you're on your way to heaven, that you're called a child of God. I mean, how awesome would it be to have that kind of assurance, that you walk out of here with, with a, an assurance of the, I know this. And I know, I, I can see here in God's word that I can know this. John says, that's the reason I'm writing this to you. Verse 14, he goes on, he goes, this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. John just keeps going on and on. He keeps saying his word, no, I want you to know. I want you to know. Over 40 times in this little letter, he uses the word no. Over seven times in the verses we're unpacking this morning, he uses this word no. He wants us to know. So, so what can we know from God's word this morning? Here's three things we can know. Here's the first thing, it's this. I can know that I have eternal life. I can know that. I can, I can walk out of here this morning with an assurance that I have eternal life. What's he say in verse 13? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He, he gives this great assurance. Now he gives a qualifier to it. He says, not everyone can have this assurance. Not everyone can have this hope. But those who believe in the name of the Son of God, when you've put your hope in Jesus, you've rested your life in him as, as your Lord and as your Savior. 
When you recognize, Jesus, you came and lived the life that I couldn't live, but I needed to live that life if I wanted a relationship with a holy God. I couldn't do it, so you came to do it for me. And then you died in my place. You took my sin and my shame. You took God's wrath poured out on you instead of me. And and then you didn't stay dead. You rose again from the grave to conquer death, to conquer sin. And you put your hope in that, that when you stand before God, you're not going to stand before God and have to say, well, I think my good outweighed my bad, probably. You can stand before God and say, it's all Jesus. It's, it's everything that he did. I, I put my hope in him. You can think of your hope in this way, that, that if, if you're invited by, by a, a super wealthy person says, hey, I want to give you a vacation. I've got this hotel booked and, and you could never afford it. It's an all-inclusive. It's booked under my name, but you get to go there. And when you show up there, all expenses paid, when you show up, what do you say? You don't, you don't say, you don't check in under your name. You don't show your credit card. You're like, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm under Daddy Warbucks. He's got this covered, right? What does that mean? It means, it means you're saying, hey, don't charge this vacation to my credit card. Don't charge it to my account. I'm under Daddy Warbucks' name for this. And when you believe in the name of the Son of God, what you're doing is you're resting in who he is, his actions, what he's done. You're not attempting to earn heaven by your own righteous bank account that's not very big. You go under his name. You draw on his account. And in that place of resting in him, you have eternal life. Now, here's why this is so important. It's so important because your assurance, your, your hope, <coughs> excuse me, your hope is not resting in you. I mean, think about how often you, you kind of wrestle with your relationship with God where, where someone will come to you and say, hey, how are things going in your walk with Christ? And, and what do you say? Oftentimes, right, you might say, well, I don't know. Like, I don't really feel close to God. Has anybody ever felt that way before? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't feel close to God right now. I'm, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in a good place with God right now. And I love that God is so clear here. Listen, that my feelings aren't what to relationship with him. My hope is not in how I feel during the day. God's word is what determines my hope. I mean, John's been so clear all through this letter to lay out what God says about your hope. Here's what you put your hope in. He's saying, listen, if you see this going on in your life, you can be 100% sure you have eternal life. How cool is that? I mean, as a Christian, you can say, I'm 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. It was a few years ago, I was, I was meeting with a, an older lady. She was just basically hours, maybe days from death. And she'd been in, a, in a, a home for a long time. She was moved into hospice. I was going to visit her there and she was lying there just like so close to being ushered into eternity. And, and she had this fear. And she actually asked me, she's laying in bed with this weak voice. She said, do you think I've done enough? And I leaned in close to her and I said, do you trust Jesus? And, and her face lit up and she said, I, I love Jesus. He's everything to me. I, I can't wait to see him. And you can see she rested again. There was that, that hope, that assurance. It's not on me. 
There's not striving. There's not wandering for the Christian. You can know you have eternal life. And here's the thing, that's not a prideful stance. That in our culture right now, there seems to be like you're, you're super humble if you say, well, I don't know. That's my story, not your story, my, my truth. And it's, it's actually lifted up to be able to say, well, I don't want to actually say anything with, with assurance. Listen, there's, there's nothing prideful of saying, I can know I have eternal life. In fact, it's, it's super humble. Why? Because you're declaring, listen, I'm a total dumpster fire. I got nothing good going on. Jesus is my hope. I'm not, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in what God says. So, so then you, you could ask yourself, well, then how do I know? What does John lay out for the test of this? If you've been tracking with us throughout this series, he, he really gives these tests all through the letter. So, so you ready for a test? Okay, maybe you've been out of school for a while. Okay, get your number two pencil out, sharpen it up. We're gonna have a test, okay? It's a, it's a pretty simple test. It's true and false, all right? He, here's John's tests for us. He has some questions that he would ask. He would ask this, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he's God the Son come in the flesh to live the perfect life, to die in your place, to be raised again? Do you believe that? Do you believe in Jesus? Here's another question he's been asking through this letter. Do, do you understand your sinfulness apart from Jesus Christ, that in your sinfulness you have no way to be made right with God? Do you understand that you've sinned against a holy God? You are separated from God. Do you understand that? Here's another test. Have you confessed your sin? Have you, have you trusted in Jesus as the substitute for you? Where you rest in, it's not about me. Christ stood in my place. He took my sin. The penalty's been paid in full. Here's another test John's been giving us is in response to that now, do you love God and love others? Would, would there be a change where you're like, man, it is obvious that you've met Jesus. Not perfectly love others, not perfectly love God, but, but that's evident in your life and it's increasing in your life. Is that a, a true of, of who you are? John's like, if, if that is, man, add it to the list. You can be 100% sure you know Christ. Here's the last test that John's laid out for us in this letter. Do you find God's word a delight to obey? Do you find that God's word is a delight for you to obey? And again, not perfectly. I'm not saying you never struggle, but do you see that evident in your life and, and increasing in your life? John said, if, if these five things are true of you, he's saying, man, you can know. Now, here's the thing about that test. If, if going through those five questions, if, if you're here this morning saying, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that's me. You can turn from your sin right now, today. You can put your hope in Jesus Christ and walk out of here 100% sure of who you are in him. I would say this, if I were to say to you, hey, are you a Christ follower? And you would say back, uh, I'm trying, I'm, I'm doing my best. It shows you don't get the gospel. It shows that, that we still have this thing in us where we think there's this level we have to attain to in order to get given this title of, of Christ follower, of child of God. There's nothing left to be done. It's, it's Jesus' finished work for you and you putting your hope and your trust in that salvation to rest in it fully, to, to push all your chips into the middle of the table on that, to say, I'm trusting in Jesus as my hope. 
and you now have eternal life. Right now, as a child of God. And, and if God is your father, here's the cool thing about that. You have all access to the creator of the universe. He gives you his life. I mean, think about the blessings that flow from that, that, that God says, listen, my life is yours. You, you have access to me. How many blessings can you, can you think? Well, he, he, well, here's the second way we, we can know and then this hope we have as we leave here. It's one of these blessings that comes out of that, this relationship with God that I can know, listen, I can know my prayers will be answered. I can know that my prayers will be answered. Where do I get that from? Well, it's right here in the next verse. It says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. I know my prayers will be answered. I mean, this flows out of, if you, if you know Christ Jesus, if you're trusting in him and his name only, you've got this, this privilege, this, this first class kind of privilege. Like, can anybody ever fly first class before? Here's the worst part about the first class, how they got it set up, right? Because I'm going to guess most people haven't flown first class, right? Here's the worst part. You have to walk past it to get to your crappy seat, right? And so you walk past going, oh, look at the huge seats y'all get. Well, I'm going back to slam my knees into the back of another seat. Oh, champagne, really, eh? All right. And you have to walk past that little curtain, right, where, where only the, the unwashed masses have to go to. And you, you step back into the, for sure, I'm catching the flu on this flight section, right? Right? <laughs> Now, I've told the story before, but, but just by pure dumb luck, I actually got to ride, fly in first class one time on a missions trip. Think about that, right? And, and here's the thing. It, it was ridiculous. Real China, real silverware. The, the food was incredible. And they'd say, hey, if, if you want more, we'll get you more. Have you ever been in the back? We're like, we've run out of chicken. I know why now. Because first class ate it all, Right? <laughs> You just get whatever you want. Here's your hot towel. Here's a bigger TV. Let's massage your feet. Like it's crazy, right? Here's the thing. This is the idea that John's laying out for us here. He's saying, listen, listen, you're not at your destination yet, but while you're on your way to heaven, you have first class seats along the way. You, you have access to God today. You can be in his presence and speak with him today. I mean, this brings so much hope and assurance. While we're waiting for the day when we see Christ face to face, while we're waiting for the day when the effect of sin is no longer pressing on our hearts, the sin I choose that wounds me, the sin done to me that hurts me, the sin done just because we're in a sinful world, we're waiting for the day when that's no more. But on the way, you have total access to God the Father in prayer. He says, ask anything. I mean, that's amazing. As we wait for heaven, God says, Here, here's a blank check from my bank account. You pray about anything that's in this account and it's yours. You can have it. I mean, how awesome is that? Now, here's the thing about the, the anything. Here's what's going on in this verse, though. You, you see what it says. He, God isn't saying, hey, take your own blank check from your own bank account and you can ask for whatever you want from your... No, 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 what's he saying? It's anything in God's account, according to his will, it says. He says, you have access to anything, but, but anything in this specific account, 
the account of God's will. I ask in there and you, you can have it. So, so not my check, not your check, but God's check. So, so not God fulfill my dreams and make my name great. Not, not give me everything that I want, God. In fact, in James chapter four, it says that a lot of our prayers aren't answered. Why? Because we take our prayers and we spend it on ourselves. God say, I'm not answering those prayers. But he, he will answer prayers that are according to his will. This is why it's such a great idea, if you've never done this before, to pray through scripture. It's really, it's, it's easy to pray through the Psalms, but you can pray through any part of scripture where you're reading God's words and you're praying them back to him. God, I know this is a true promise. And you begin to pray that back. Now, John gives an example of how it looks like. He says there's a confidence here that, that God is listening, that he, he's hearing. When we talk, he's not like an earthly dad who, you know, he doesn't have a TV or an iPhone where he's distracted while he's going, uh-huh, 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 right? No, he's actually paying attention when we talk to him. You have his attention. And then John gives us this example, this principle lived out of the types of things to pray about. It's a couple confusing verses, but keep it in the context of what he's talking about here with prayer. Verse 16 says this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sin that do not lead to death. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that leads to death. Now, what's John saying here? It can be confusing. Let's unpack it from, from the context of what he's been talking about in prayer here. He's saying there's a good way to pray God's will. Pray with other people in mind. He's saying pray that a, a brother or a sister that's caught in sin, would you pray for them that they would be rescued from those sinful choices that they're making, that, that they would be set free. If you pray for that person you know who's making choices that you know are leading them down a path that's not good and you're praying for that Christian brother or sister, God's will, not God's will. You think you're praying in God's will or out of God's will? You're praying in God's will, right? God, you, you, that you would rescue this person. It says, if you see your brother or your sister, now side note here, how would you see your brother and sister struggling? You gotta be in community, right? John's been talking about that all through this letter. If, if you're isolated, if you show up to church once a month, if, you, if you're not connected in a small group, you don't have people around you, listen, you're not gonna be able to pray this out. You're not gonna be able to live this out. And, and dangerously, if you're the one who is caught in this, who's seeing it in your life? You need to find a group of people around you where they see your heart and you see their heart. I mean, it's so easy to fake Christianity. It's so easy to come here and smile at everybody and think, man, you're doing awesome. Meanwhile, your heart is a wreck and you're like, man, I wish you knew. That's why I love our small groups. That's why I love that people are gathering inside community because this verse makes no sense outside of community. If we're gonna love each other enough to pray for each other, these God-honoring God glorifying prayers. We need to know each other. And, and what John is saying here, he says, listen, if you have a brother or sister, so this is a Christian he's talking about, and, and, and they're sinning in a way that's robbing them of the abundant life they're promised. They've stepped out of first class, right? They're not living in the truth of the hope that they have in God. They're not resting their life in him. Just pray for them. Now notice there, he also prays, he talks about somebody else, not a brother or sister. He says, to those who commit sin 
that did not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. He says, there's, there's another kind of person out there who, who yeah, there's another sin that is going to lead to death. Don't pray that they would be comforted. That's what he's saying. Don't pray that they would have hope. They should be in a place where they go, I don't have hope. Why? Because they don't have Jesus. Your prayer changes for that person. The sin that leads to death, it's rejecting Christ. It's saying, I don't need Jesus. I got enough stuff going on. I'm okay on my own. And, and John's saying, don't pray they would be comforted. Don't pray that they would have hope. Pray that they would be lost in this, that they would find Christ. Draw them into the hope they have in Christ. Especially in John's context here, there were a group of people in the church who were faking it, who were saying that Jesus isn't the way to life. There's other ways. And, they're in the, and John's like, don't pray that they would be comforted. That's not God's will that they'd find comfort. God's will is that they'd find Jesus. And for the brother or sister who's caught in a sin, he says, be praying for them. God, restore them. God, remind them of their hope in you. God, would you make the things they're holding on to not bring them hope? Listen, here's what John's saying. When you have this amazing privilege of going before the creator of the universe with your requests, you have this unbelievable privilege of praying for each other. I mean, as you look around this room, you have the privilege of praying that other brothers and sisters here in this room, that God would be glorified in their life, that they would have freedom, that they would have hope, they'd have joy. I mean, in the context of what John's saying here about prayer, think about your prayer life of this past week. If God answered all of your prayers this past week, would anything change in the world or, or would it only change in your world? I mean, God's invited us to pray these bold, world-changing prayers. And we have a hope that when we call out to God, asking these huge things for God to be glorified, for lives to be changed, we have a hope that, God, you hear me. You answer this. We have a hope that God hears those prayers. Here's our last hope this morning that we have from this text here that we can grab a hold of. Look at verses 18 and 19. John says this, we know, there's that word again, we know, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God, he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, what's John saying here? Here's our, here's our last hope that we can leave here with 100% confidence in. It's this, I know that I've been transformed. I know that I've been transformed. I know that I have eternal life. I know God hears me when I pray to him and I know that I've been transformed. I've been made new. Now, here's the thing, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect as a Christian, but you will have victory over sin. You've been given a new nature, a new heart, You've been given the power of the Spirit in you to defeat sin, and it doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. But here's what it does mean. It means that if you're a Christ follower, you won't be stuck in an ongoing pattern of constant sin where you just naturally can sin. I, mean, I love hearing testimonies of people who have come to Christ in our church, and people have come out of just a world of sin, and, and they say things like this, man, the stuff I used to enjoy doing, man, I just hate it now. Even when I try to enjoy it, I can't right? Transformation, a new heart, a new life. With Christ protecting you, it says here, 
with Christ as your protection. Think, think greater than, than the rock, greater than Dwayne Johnson, right? Walking through a bad neighborhood. You, you have Christ protecting you so that the evil one, it says, does not touch you. Now, here's again, I understand that word touch. It, it, it almost sounds like that Satan can be like the pesky sibling on a road trip. Touched you, huh? The, the word touch there, right? You're not gonna have they had to draw lines on the seat, right? Don't cross the line, right? That's not Satan. The word touch, it has this idea of, of grab a hold of and cause harm. Do damage. Mess with your marriage. Mess with your thought life. Mess with your heart. And John's saying, if you've been born of God, if you've been transformed to this new life, where you've gone from death to life, from old to new, where, where Jesus now walks with you, he protects you, that Satan can't touch the Christian now. Here's the thing, when you're tucked in behind Jesus, not, not walking out ahead, not, not wandering far behind, but when you're tucked in, in this, this ongoing Regular repentance. What's John say? He says you won't keep sinning if you've been born of God. So you're walking tucked in behind Jesus in obedience and repentance. When you sin, you bring it to him. You don't hide out from him. You come closer to him. And you live under the truth of the gospel. This gospel that says God, God forgives. God brings grace. God pours out his love. Listen, when you tuck in there, you are protected, this says. You have the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. When you come under, protected under the gospel, what God says of you, you're, you're protected from where Satan can grab a hold of you and do his damage. It's when you step out from underneath that protection, when you get out from behind Jesus, and you're like, I'm gonna pursue this, I'm gonna grab a hold of this. When you forget the gospel again, I'm telling you, Satan does his greatest work there, and he messes with you, he touches you, he takes you down. But listen, as a... As a follower of Christ, he might trip you, but he can't take you out. He can't defeat you. Why? Because verse 19 says, we know we're from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It, it's, it's like you're in Christ, you're protected. Jesus came into that broken world. He says, you're not the same person you used to be now. There's a story of Augustine. Augustine, before he came to Christ, um, he was a bit of a ladies' man. Right? He had tons of women that he slept with. He was a, a bit known for that before he gave his life to Christ. And then he gives his life to Christ. He's walking through the town, and one of his old girlfriends comes up to Augustine and comes up to him and says, hey, and starts flirting with him and trying to get his attention, trying to draw him in. He wants nothing to do with her. And she says to him, hey, Augustine, it, it's me. And he turns to her and goes, yes, but it's not me. When temptation's knocking at your door, if you're in Christ, that's not you anymore. When temptation comes, it's be like, man, man, how come you don't, how come you don't grab a hold of this any longer? How can you go, go, go this? Man, this is stuff you used to enjoy. This is stuff that used to trip you up. But now you can look temptation in the face. You can look greed. You can look lust. You can look fear, anger, cowardice, bitterness, and you can say, listen, you're the same old temptation, but I'm not the same old me. Amen. Or you can say. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And you tuck yourself under the gospel again. 
You have a new identity, a new birth. In Christ, you have a new power. And you can fight against sin because you've been given this power and freedom that you don't have to live as a slave to sin any longer. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We're going to fight the rest of our lives between now and glory. But, but you don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. That God promises you in that fight, he'll be sustaining you. He'll be powering you. He'll, he, he'll continue that work he begun in you until he fully completes that work in you. John says, we know that the Son of God has come. He's given us an understanding so that we may know him who is true. And that we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John's saying, this is it. This is what you live under. He says this in verse 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Does it seem like he just kind of ended off the letter and kind of maybe got distracted? Like, well, like, well that's a weird way to end. Just, hey, and, and by the way, just stay away from idols. What's he saying here? He's saying that the, the world, he just got finished saying the world's been lulled to sleep in the arms of the evil one. The evil one that's saying, it's okay. You're all right. You're trying your best. You're a really good person deep inside. You can believe in your own good works. You can rest in that. You, you know you're doing your best. You know that God would, would never wanna, wanna pour his wrath out on you because you're trying so hard and we're being lulled to sleep. The world is being lulled to sleep by that and God's stepping in and going, that's not true. The only way to eternal life is through his true son, Jesus Christ. And what John is saying, don't settle for any other idol, any other substitute. Don't put your hope in anything else. Don't put your hope in your spouse. Don't put your hope in your family. Don't put your hope in your work. Don't put your hope in acceptance. Don't put your hope in comfort or your friends or your health or your money or your well-being. Don't put your hope, John's saying, in anything else but the truth that sets you free. Now, why shouldn't we pursue these idols? Why shouldn't we waste our life pursuing fake gods that are gonna fail for us? Here's why John says this, because the real God has pursued you. Verse 20 says, the, the son of God has come and given us his understanding so we could know him who's true. He's come after us. Jesus has come right into that world that lies in the power of the evil one. And he came so you could know him. And not just know about him, but John says here to be in him. To be connected to him. Union with Christ. And, and in knowing the true Jesus, God the Son, who came in the flesh, who lived and died and rose again. When we know him, when we trust in him, when we rest in him, we're, we're united with him. And you have eternal life. And then not just in length, but in quality. A life where you're satisfied in the presence of God. A relationship with the creator of the universe. So don't just go through just the goofy religious kind of stuff that we can go through and miss this deep connection you have with the living God. Don't miss the opportunity where you can hear him through his word. You can talk to him through prayer and he answers don't miss the opportunity you have to experience the love that can be flowing out of the family of God. Again, not always perfect, but to press in and say, man, this is something God's given me. 
Don't miss knowing the joy of allowing God to use your gifts, to use your resources for his mission. Don't miss that joy of seeing others go from death to life, just like he did for you. I mean, this is the the life of hope that God wants for you this morning. The, The gift of eternal life that was purchased, that was secured by Jesus. But listen, this hope is not automatic. You need to press into this hope. As Paul says in Philippians 3.12, you need to grab a hold of that hope, grab a hold of the one who's grabbing a hold of you. To do that, to grab a hold of God, to grab a hold of this truth, guess what you need to let go of? If your hands are full of idols, it's tough to grab a hold of the one who's holding tightly to you. So this morning, as the band comes up, as we end off this morning, here's my question for you this morning. What are those things that you place your hope in, in place of the true and living God? What idols do you need to release this morning? Where Christ is saying, come back under my protection, come back under my hope. You've lost your joy, you've lost your peace, you've lost your assurance. Sin is growing. And God's saying, drop the idol, drop the thing you're running for, come back, come back to my love, come back to my hope. You know, when Jesus called the first disciples, it says in Matthew that that they dropped their nets and followed him. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't it just say they followed him? No, it says they dropped their nets and followed him. I mean, we can say we're all about Jesus. We can say we need Jesus, but as long as we cling to that other thing that we, we think we need in life, you can call it an idol, that thing that you, you think this provides me hope, this provides me life, this provides me peace, this provides me wholeness. And you know it's an idol because when it's removed from you, it, it kills, it hurts. Maybe for you, I don't know what that is, what that is you hold on to. Maybe it's perfection, maybe it's control, maybe it's ease and comfort. Maybe it's praise of people. Maybe it's that pet sin you keep running to. But to truly follow Jesus, we need to drop the net and follow him. And that begins when we see the love and the grace that he has for us. When we see that, it's so easy to drop the net. Why, why? Because we recognize, wait a minute, that idol, that net, that doesn't define me. That's not my identity. If you have Christ, you have been transformed. You have eternal life. You have access in prayer to the creator of the universe. You have that today and you can know this. So my question is this, do you have that kind of certainty today? And God wants you to have it. In the gospel, you can have it. You can receive that today. Do you stand with me as I pray? Lord God, I thank you so much that that according to your word, that we can know, that we can have 100% assurance, that we can know that we're your children, that we can know that the enemy can't take us out, that we can know that we can rest in your promises.
Lord God, I pray this morning where we have false idols built up, Lord, would you, would you take them out of our hands today? God, where we've gripped tightly, would you pry our hands off of those idols this morning? That we bring that to the foot of the cross. We bring that to the place where we know there is hope and healing. We tuck ourselves again into the gospel. God, would you give us that confidence that's rooted in Jesus, rooted in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Thank you, Father, for the assurance we have of your love, that we can say we know this. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.